from Luke 6, 43 through 49. For no good tree bears bad fruit, nor again does a bad tree bear good fruit. For each tree is known by its fruit. For figs are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor are grapes picked from a bramble bush. The good person, out of the good treasure of his heart, produces good. And the evil person, out of his evil treasure, produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I tell you? Everyone who comes to me and hears my words and does them, I will show you what he is like. He is like a man building a house who dug, who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. And when a flood arose, the stream broke against that house and could not shake it because it had been well built. But the one who hears and does not do them is like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation. When the stream broke against it, immediately it fell, and the ruin of that house was great. This is the word of the Lord. Now let us pray. Our fathers, we come before you this morning eager to listen to your word, eager to be instructed by it. We ask for your help that you would send your spirit to enlighten our hearts so that we might be able to see and to hear, but not be just hearers only, but to also be doers of your word. And Father, we know that throughout the nation, throughout the world, on this day, your people are gathering together or have already gathered to hear your word. And Lord, we think of Valley Community Church in Marquette, Kansas this morning. We ask that you would work on behalf of this church as they hear your word this morning, that they would grow in their faith, that they would look to Christ as the Savior, as the King, and that their lives would be further shaped by the gospel message this morning. We pray the same, Lord, of course, for us and for all the churches in the Midwest District throughout Nebraska and Kansas. It's in his, in the name of Jesus Christ we pray, amen. All right. We have come uh, to the end of uh, a section of Jesus' teaching in the Gospel of Luke here in Luke 6. And whenever you reach the end of something, it's always a good idea to think back to where it all began, to where it all started. And it's been a few weeks since we were back in verses 12 through 19, but in that passage, Luke 6, 12 through 19, we, we observed Jesus calling 12 men out of a greater crowd of people who had been following him. And Jesus named these 12 men apostles or his special messengers, his ambassadors. These men would eventually be the ones who would be entrusted with the gospel of Jesus Christ and would spread that good news throughout the world. They were going to fill an important role within God's plan of redemption. But then, in verses 17 through 19, we observe that a great crowd of his disciples and a great multitude of people came to Jesus. Some came to be healed, some just to see Jesus do miracles, and some to listen to his teaching. Because as, as Jesus described in the Gospel of John, no one ever spoke like this man, like Jesus. Now, verse 20 informed us that when Jesus began to teach, he lifted up his eyes on his disciples and said, 
So he was directing this teaching that we've been going through primarily to his disciples, as verse 20 tells us. But you know how parents sometimes will direct a message of instruction at one of their children, but they will speak in such a way knowing full well that all of their children are listening. Well, that's what Jesus was also doing here. He was directing his instruction at his disciples, but he is well aware that the whole crowd who has come to him is also listening in on his teaching. So he's intentional about instructing them as well throughout these verses. And what Jesus is instructing them in is really just what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. He was helping them to to know just just what a disciple of his does, how they act, uh, what they think, how they respond to different situations. And in this teaching, Jesus described for us just what it really means for us to belong to him, to be identified with him. Now for our day, how, how, how might you answer the question then, what is a Christian? When we do answer that question, what is a Christian, how much of an influence does our own culture have on our answer, on our definition of what a Christian is? Well, there definitely is an Americanized understanding of what a Christian is. So when you think, do, do we have a similar understanding as the Americanized culture around us? Well, as we listen to Jesus' teaching throughout Luke 6, uh, 20 through 49 here, we are confronted with the understanding that Jesus had on what a Christian is. And quite frankly, it should leave us all very humbled. I mean, listen to some of these things that, that he's already said. Verse 27, those who love their enemies and do good to those who hate them. Verse 30, those who do to others what they wish others would do to them. Verse 35, those who lend, expecting nothing in return. Verse 36, those who are merciful to others, especially to those who are the least deserving of being shown mercy. This is what what a Christian is, as Jesus is describing here. And then Uh, Verse 37, those who do not judge and condemn others, but rather are generous and and forgiving towards others, being aware of how great their own sin and condemnation would be before God. Those are just a few of the answers that Jesus has given us in this section to the question, what is a Christian? And Jesus is going to continue to provide more answers, more, more descriptions for us of just what a genuine disciple of Jesus looks like throughout the Gospel of Luke, but, but, but I think we are beginning to notice that, that we, will, we will never be a genuine Christian unless our hearts are miraculously transformed. We will never be able to, to live in these kind of ways as Jesus is laying out for us unless something incredibly transformational happens to us. We need to be a new creation. And Jesus is trying to show us that, particularly here at the end of this teaching in Luke 6. So our main theme then for verses 43 through 49 is that we are each in desperate need of new hearts in order to be faithful disciples of Christ. 
Let's look first at the beginning, verses 43 through 45, and the heading I put over that is, is just, again, thinking about genuine disciples, genuine Christians. Genuine disciples are known by their actions and words. That's what we see here in verses 43 through 45. Let's read those. For no good tree bears bad fruit, nor again does a bad tree bear good fruit, for each tree is known by its own fruit. For figs are not gathered from thorn bushes, and nor are grapes picked from a bramble bush. The good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good, and the evil person out of his evil treasure produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. Now one of the most memorable summer activities for me when I was growing up was having to walk beans, or as my dad would say, getting to walk beans. For those of you um, in the younger generation, or those of you who, who never got to uh, walk beans, I want to just describe for you what, 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 what we did. Uh, my family and I would get up early in the morning while the dew was still on the leaves of the soybeans, and we would usually then be joined by a few other friends, and we would, we would then walk our bean fields row by row in order to, to weed them, to, to weed them like you would weed a garden. We carried garden hose and uh, would use them for most of the weeds, but not for all the weeds. There were certain weeds that my father said must be pulled up from the roots and then left to die by laying them on top of the bean plants. And you can guess which weeds I preferred to come across in my rows. Definitely the ones that I could just easily chop with a hoe rather than having to stop and bend over and pull up these weeds out of the ground. Now because of this, I, I know how to tell one weed from another just by how they look. And I can usually spot a cockerbore from a long ways away. If I would come, up, come upon a large group of uh, different kinds of weeds in a patch, I would be able to distinguish quite easily between the different weeds and be able to chop the ones that I could chop and then pull the ones that I needed to pull. It's easy for me to tell if a plant is a weed or not and to tell what kind of weed then it is. But if you brought me to an orchard, which had different kinds of fruit trees, especially in, in, in spring, I would not have any idea which trees were which. And I would guess it might be the same for, for some of you. If all you could look at was the tree itself, you would not be able to tell which kind of tree it was. The only way for us to know definitively what kind of trees they would be would be to wait until the tree produced fruit. Once the fruit begins to appear on the tree limbs, we could easily be able to say, oh, well, that's an apple tree. That one is a pear tree. This one over here, that's a, that's a peach tree. Or this one over here, that's an orange tree. The only way for most of us to tell whether or not an apple tree is really an apple tree and not a pear tree is to wait and see what kind of fruit it would produce. Well, here in verses 43 through 45, Jesus makes a similar point, except he is talking about genuine disciples or as we might call them, genuine Christians. You will, you will only be able to tell whether or not someone is truly a Christian by looking at what kind of fruit they produce. That is, from what these verses tell us, fruit is the actions 
and the words of a person as observed over a period of time. What kind of fruit is it? In this passage, Jesus is showing us that you are not a Christian just because you say that you are. Nor are you a Christian just because you have performed some religious ritual or, or, or prayed a certain prayer. Now, this passage is also a warning to us regarding hypocrites and false teachers. Someone is not a Christian just because they, they believe that they are and proclaim that they are. Consider the, 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 the politicians who profess to be Christians. We have a, a bunch of politicians now canvassing the nation, coming to Iowa especially, talking about themselves. Some of their, they, they want to run for president. They want to lead this country in a much better way. And, and some are professing to be Christians. There's politicians who will profess to be Christians, but then they will take completely opposite sides on fairly basic moral views, views that the Bible speaks about pretty clearly. So which one is really a Christian? Or are either of them really a Christian? Well, from this passage, Jesus is showing us that genuine Christians produce good fruit. They produce a good, uh, they, they produce good actions, they speak in good and right ways, truthful ways. Uh, a genuine Christian, as Jesus shares in verse, verse 47, hears his words, that is Christ's words, and does them. Our lives will only bear good fruit if our hearts have been made new and good by God so that we can then produce good fruit. We can't manufacture our own fruit by our own strength but only from what is inside of us. Therefore, to be a genuine Christian means having a transformed or a renewed heart, which will then produce a life of good actions. What matters ultimately is the condition of our hearts. Again, look, look back at this passage. No good tree bears bad fruit, nor again does a bad tree bear good fruit. For each tree is known by its own fruit. For figs are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor are grapes picked from, bramble, from a bramble bush. The good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good, and the evil person out of his evil treasure produces evil. For out of the abundance of the, his heart, his mouth speaks. There's something that we must understand about trees if we are to understand what Jesus is teaching here. It is, it is, it is not the fruit of the tree which determines what the tree is. It is the fruit that reveals what the tree is. If it is a good tree... That is because it has a good root system. If the tree is healthy and well-nourished, then that tree will produce good fruit. The fruit reveals whether or not the tree is good. If the tree is bad, that is, if, if a tree does not have a good root system or it's not gotten enough water and, 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 and nutrients or, or it is diseased, then its fruit will reveal what it is for it will not produce good fruit. Making the connection to the person then, if the person's heart is right, then it will be revealed by the good fruit that that person's life will produce. That, that, that is the actions and the words, what the person says will be judged good. But if their heart is bad, remember when, when, when the Bible uses heart in this way, it's, it's describing who you really are inside, you know, what your will is, what your passions are, what, what, what your desires are, 
Your heart determines your behavior. That's your heart. And if your heart is bad, then the fruit of your life will be bad. It will not be something which honors God. But sometimes we live like we believe, hey, you know, all we have to do is change the fruit. That is change our actions. You know, change the way we speak. Change how you know, we, we behave. If, if, we, if we change those things, we can make ourselves good. And so we come up with different lists. Okay, we're going to do this. We're going to do this. We're not going to do that. We're not going to say that. And we, we seek to change the fruit. And think if we change the fruit, then we'll be all right. But Paul Tripp, in, in, in his book, Instruments in the Redeemer's Hands, uh, describes it this way. He says, say you have a few apple trees in your yard. And each year, you look forward uh, to the fruit that these apple trees will produce. Except, of course, for this one tree in your yard, which really struggles to produce any good fruit of, at all. You know, this, the, 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 this one tree's apples are always small. They're, they're, they're mushy. You know, year after year after year, all the apples that this tree ever produces are just awful. So one afternoon, when the trees are all full of their fruit, full of apples, you get out a ladder, and, and, and you bring your ladder, and you, and, and you get out your, your apple picker, and you, you, you pick all the apples off of that one bad tree. And you do what, what I did uh, so often in my, my grandma's yard with my grandma's apples. I would then you know, pitch them into the sheep pen, and allow the sheep to, to eat off them. Except for this tree, of course, uh, this, this tree is so bad, the apples are so bad, even the, even the sheep are not going to touch these apples. You throw them in there. And then you go over to your, to, to your best apple tree with your ladder and your apple picker. You know, this best apple tree that produces the finest apples out of all your trees. And you pick off all of these great, delicious, sweet, sweet and crispy apples. You then bring all of those good apples over to the tree which has never produced any apple worth eating before, and, and you take out your staple gun, and you begin to, to, to staple those good apples to the tree limbs of that tree. One after another, you staple those apples to the tree until the tree is now covered with good apples. And you, you take a few steps back, maybe a lot of steps back, and you look at this tree, and now this tree actually looks like it produces good apples. But just because you, you've changed the fruit, has that tree changed? Is that tree now good? Is the tree really a good tree? No, of course not. It's not the fruit which makes the tree good. But what's in the tree that makes the fruit good? It isn't our works that make us good. It's what's in us who we really are on the inside, which makes our actions or our words good. If we change our behavior, but our hearts remain unchanged, it's not going to last. Those apples that we stapled on to our branches will eventually rot and reveal that they aren't genuine. What must be changed is our hearts. Then our fruit will begin to change. Now let's Take a look at verse 46 here, right after that. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I tell you? Here we see that a genuine disciple obeys the Lord. 
Jesus just asks a simple question. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I tell you? In fact, what Jesus is doing here is giving the basic definition of a hypocrite or of one who professes to be a Christian but really isn't one. It is someone who calls Jesus Lord, who acknowledges Jesus, yet they don't obey him. They don't listen to him. They really don't care what he says. Yet, yet they fully believe that they are his people. They want to be identified with Jesus in some way, especially with when that benefits them, but they refuse to pay the cost of following him, which, of course, would come with obedience. So to call someone Lord is to call someone master, to say that I submit myself to you. The main confession that Christians made in the early centuries of the church was simply this confession. Ho Christos ine curios. That's Greek. Ho Christos ine curios. Christ is Lord. You made that confession, then you were recognized as a believer. If you want to stand up in a Roman culture and say, Ho Christos in a curios, Christ is Lord, that would be your confession of faith. Mark wrote his gospel primarily for the believers in the Roman world who, who were, were making this confession and, and who were in the midst of being challenged to deny that Christ was Lord, and instead to confess, ho keseras in a curios, Caesar is Lord. <coughs> Genuine Christians, of course, would refuse to make that confession. And many, many who refused to make that confession ended up being put to death. So it wasn't a small thing in that time to confess Christ is Lord. But unless our words match up with our actions, our words don't mean much at all. And Jesus is stating here that submission to his will is central to having a relationship with him. Let me say that again. Submission to his will is central to having a relationship with him. Now, growing up in the evangelical free church like I did, I, I heard over and over again about the importance of having a relationship with Jesus Christ. I was told if I would ask Jesus to come into my heart, that I would then have a relationship with Jesus. Well, you know, growing up, I had relationships with lots of people. I had relationships with my parents, with my two sisters, with my extended family, with my friends at school, and with my friends at church. I had a relationship with our mailman. Loved it when our mailman come. I'd run out and I'd talk to him and he'd give me the mail. I had a relationship with, with, our, with our gas man who would always bring me a pack of juicy fruit gum whenever he came out to our farm to fill up our gas barrels. I, I, I enjoyed these relationships. But you know what? I definitely did not obey all of these people that I had relationships with. That really was not a part of that relationship at all for most of these people. I only obeyed those who were in authority over me, like my parents or grandparents or teachers, and even then I didn't always obey. But to have a genuine relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ is by its very nature to have a relationship of submission to his will as revealed in his word. 
for he is Lord. He's the king. He's the one who has all authority on heaven and earth. To know Christ is to obey Christ. How can we call Jesus Lord, Lord, and, and not do what he tells us? Well, we either have to change and obey him as Lord, <clears throat> or we need to just stop calling him Lord and, and admit we really don't have a relationship with him if we are not following him. But that, of course, is a very serious thing. You know, by its very nature, a relationship with Jesus means an obedient relationship to him, not perfectly, not perfectly obedient, but a submissive will to him as Lord. And if we do not have a relationship with Jesus, then we will be left without hope of salvation on the, on the day of judgment. We will stand uncovered, naked, before the almighty, holy God without any covering of Christ's righteousness over us. That righteousness which is provided for all those who are in Christ by faith. We will be completely without that. Standing with, you know, in the midst of our own righteousness. Which is about as much worth to us as filthy rags. So to know Christ is to obey Christ and be covered by his righteousness. But to refuse to obey Christ is to not be in relationship with him and therefore outside of him. Again, with only our own righteousness to depend upon on the day of judgment. So whether or not you know Christ is a very serious matter. Lastly, verses 47 through 49, we will be saved from God's judgment only if we are genuine disciples of Jesus Christ. Now Jesus gives us a memorable image here of what a genuine Christian is really like and what someone is like who thinks that they are a Christian but really aren't. Let's read this passage. Everyone who comes to me and hears my words and does them, I will show you what he is like. He is like a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock and when a flood arose, the stream broke against that house and could not shake it because it had been well built. But the one who hears and does not, and does not do them is like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation. When the stream broke against it, immediately it fell, and the ruin of that house was great. So they are like men here who build houses on two different foundations. The, the one who is a genuine Christian, the one who pro professes to be a believer, yet really is not, does not listen to the word of Christ. They, 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 they may both look to be well-constructed houses that they both build. They might not you know, look any different from the outside. They look quite similar, actually. Both these, both these men usually come to worship on Sundays. They may both serve in the church in some way. They may even have both held a leadership position in the church. To most people, they... They both look like they have everything together. Just like these two houses in Jesus' parable. But it's only when the flood comes against their house or against their lives that it will be revealed what foundation it was built upon. The foundation of a house is, of course, 
what the whole structure of the house is depending upon for its ability to stand and remain standing. It is, it is much the same for our lives. The foundation of our lives is what the whole of our lives is grounded in or is depending upon. If the, if the whole of our lives is completely depending upon our own good works or our own profession, that we really are a Christian, but we, of course, really aren't listening to Jesus at all, then in the end, when the flood of a great trial hits us, or the flood of God's judgment comes, what we have built our lives upon will be exposed for what it is. And the ruin of our life will be great if we have not built in the foundation of the word of Christ. If we really aren't seeking to honor Jesus with, with our lives and listen to and obey his word, then our lives definitely are not grounded in and depending upon his word. And, and it is his word, his saving gospel, that will be the only thing which will be able to hold up our lives, to, to allow us to stand in the day of judgment. Now, you, you notice that Jesus uses the example of a flood here in this, this, this image, this parable. Many of us uh, have been uh, sickened to see the incredible devastation that floods can cause in the past few months. Uh, my folks were uh, down here this week to watch our boys play a couple of baseball games. And so Friday morning, uh, I took my dad uh, down to our bridge. Uh, we, we walked over and, and took a good close look at the devastation um, to our bridge that the flood brought upon our community. And let's be honest, we were incredibly fortunate that that was really all that happened. So many families, both northwest of us and southeast of us, have suffered devastating, and I mean devastating, losses from this spring's flooding, and it is still ongoing on the Missouri, on the Mississippi, on the Arkansas River. For believers, for those who know and follow Christ, and therefore know and pay attention to his words in Scripture, when we see flood mentioned in scripture and when we witness a flood well that ought to give us pause we ought to pause and reflect on the genesis flood as you recall that was a flood brought on by god's judgment it was a flood of his wrath poured out upon the earth that flood killed almost all of humanity, save a few, a few who were saved. And we all remember how they were saved. I mean, each of the children downstairs in junior church could tell us how they were saved from that great flood. Saved through the ark that Noah built. But how did Noah get an ark? How, how did he know to build one? How, how, did, he, how did he figure out how to prepare for the flood when everyone else in the entire world just kept going about their business, eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, not fearing anything, especially not fearing God's judgment. Well, the reason that Noah was saved from that flood is because he heard God's words. And he didn't just hear God's words, he did them. He trusted God's word to be true. And he obeyed the word of God. And for Noah... That meant building a huge ark and making provisions in that ark and taking refuge in that ark and trusting God's word for their salvation. 
Because Noah listened to the word of the Lord and obeyed, he and his family were saved from the flood of God's wrath, while everyone else in the entire world who ignored God's word were washed away by God's judgment. And their ruin was very great. So what is a Christian? How does Jesus define what it means to be his disciple? Well, look here in verse 47. It begins with a relationship. Everyone who comes to me. Everyone who comes to me. Saving faith begins with a recognition of our need for Christ, our our need for Christ to save us to save us from our rebellion against God. So we hear, maybe through coming to church and hearing God's word preached, uh, maybe we hear through another Christian talking to us about our need for Christ, but, but, but by God's grace, our eyes are open to our need for Christ, just like Noah's were opened to his need to build an ark. And we come to him. We come to Christ. We, 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 we come to Christ and we, we, we begin a relationship with him. And what is that relationship like? Well, it's like no other relationship that we have. Again, look at verse 47. Everyone who comes to me and hears my words and does them. We regularly listen to the words and commands of Jesus and we respond to them with obedience. We do them. We are not hearers only, but hearers and doers of the word of Christ. We we recognize that Christ is Lord, and we trust him. We trust his word is good, so we willingly obey it. And in doing that, we will build our lives upon the solid rock of Christ's truth. And when the, the raging flood of God's wrath comes upon the world, we will stand firm. We will not be overwhelmed. So have you come to Christ, as verse 47 says? Maybe you were like me when I read these passages a few days ago and I thought, wait a minute, I know that not all of my fruit has been good. I know that there are evil words that have come out of my mouth, lies, curses, proud words have come out of my mouth. I know that my heart is not completely good. It is not completely pure. Or again, back to verse 47. I I know that every day I fall short in doing what the word of Christ says. I fall short of what God's word requires. Will I be destroyed then by the flood of God's wrath? I sure know I, I, I would deserve it. I would deserve it. But what we see as we keep marching through the Gospel of Luke is that Christ came to save us from God's wrath. Christ came and he went to the cross and he laid down his life there. And on that cross, he absorbed God's wrath for us. God poured out his wrath upon Christ, his wrath towards our sins, his wrath towards our wicked hearts, his wrath towards our proud words. He poured that on Christ, and Christ absorbed that wrath 
for us. And, and he has promised that for all who repent of their sins and come to him in faith, trusting him, listening to him, and following him, well, Christ will save them. He will save you if that's what you'll do. And he will transform your heart. He will do a work in your heart where you will begin to follow him. You'll want to follow him. You'll want to hear his word. And you'll want to obey. You won't obey perfectly. But you will obey more and more and more. So has that been your experience? If not, Jesus is calling you this morning. Again, verse 47. Come to me. Come to me. Hear my words and do them. Repent of your sinful way of life. Repent of trusting in your own works. Repent of that and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, his saving work for you, and you will be saved.